0: Let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, we are thankful that we have your word in our language, that it speaks to us, and we pray that it would speak to us, encouraging us, rebuking us, directing us, and showing us the way that we might serve you well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're back in Revelation 1 to 3 this morning. We've been studying the seven messengers for the churches of Asia Minor given to the Apostle John by the risen Jesus. It's been a few weeks now since we last looked at chapter 3. But we come to the second last of these letters, the one sent to the church in Philadelphia. Now along with the letter to the church in Smyrna, uh, this letter is the only other letter of the seven that sounds a completely positive tone. There's no criticism, there's no rebuke, there's no correction, but on the other hand this letter holds out the prospects of broad and fruitful gospel opportunities and rich spiritual reward. Now Jesus described this church in verse 8 of our text as having little power. It might mean that it was a very small congregation. It might mean they were vulnerable people. It might also mean that its membership was made up of the underclass of society, slaves and outcasts with little influence in that city Or it might mean also both of these things or some combination or all of them. But the point is clear. The church that Jesus wrote to was not a robust, strong church. We know also from the hints given in verse 9 that it was a church that had endured opposition and persecution. The Jews in Philadelphia, we are told, claimed to be the true people of God, but were not. They had instead rejected the gospel and, like the Jews in Acts chapter 14, were opposed to the church's mission in the city. And as we've seen before, Jesus called these Jews anything but the people of God. In fact, he called them quite the opposite, a synagogue of Satan. So it was in the midst of opposition that the believers in Philadelphia had shown patient endurance that Jesus commended them for. And though they were weak and though they were vulnerable, there was something about the things that Jesus said in this letter that ought help us see that weakness and vulnerability are no indication of future usefulness and neither are they any gauge of success with the gospel. This morning, let's consider the church at Philadelphia under two headings. First, let's look together at verses 7 to 9 and see how Jesus spoke of opportunity and success with the gospel. Opportunity and success with his word. In verse verse 8, Jesus told this weak church at Philadelphia, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now that might be a big call to make. A door that no one can shut but him. But just consider who is making this claim. He is the Holy One in verse 7. He is the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Now the image that Jesus uses here, the key of David, comes from Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 to 22. There the Lord says, "'On that day I will call my servant Eliakim, "'and I will clothe him with your robe,' and bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Eliakim was the steward of the king's riches. Eliakim had the key to open and shut the house of David. As one commentator put it in this prophecy, The house of David is a shorthand way of referring to the kingdom of God, to the city of God, to the temple of God, and to all the riches of God the king. And so Eliakim is a type, he is a picture of Jesus who holds in his hands the true key of David, who opens the kingdom of God to all who believe. So this little church which was being told that the Jews had slammed the synagogue door in their faces, there was one door that Jesus had opened for them, a better door. One that leads into his kingdom by his grace and they have entered in. But more is being said than that. See, this city of Philadelphia was built at a strategic geographical location. The intention of the founders of the city of Philadelphia was that the city should become a centre for the spread of Greek civilization and culture and language, particularly in the provinces that lay to its east. And so this image of an open door for the people of Philadelphia was well known. But the open door that Jesus speaks of reminded the church that they were called to spread a better message than one of Greek civilization and culture and language. In fact, in many places in the New Testament, the language of open door is used explicitly to refer to missionary and gospel opportunity. Paul used it in 1 Corinthians 16 about a great door for effective work at Ephesus that had been opened for him. He used it in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Jesus, a door was opened for me in the Lord. He calls the Colossians in his letter in chapter 4 to pray that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. We heard it too in our story from Acts 14, didn't we? So Jesus had opened not only the kingdom of God to the believers at Philadelphia, but he had opened a door for the spread of the kingdom of God from Philadelphia to the world as it was at the time. Now sometimes when we become all too painfully aware of our weaknesses and our limitations on a personal level, we might be tempted to think that others are stronger, others are wiser, others, others are better suited to ministry than we are, so we rule ourselves out. I can't do it. I can't speak for Jesus. I can't go for him. I'm sure you've had a thought like that. But here was this church, small, weak, persecuted and suffering, who had a door open for them. And Jesus had opened that door and he was asking them to walk through that door. Isn't that a challenge to the way you see yourself? Maybe there's encouragement here to be bold despite what you see in yourself. Think of Gideon who, though he said, I'm a no one, I'm hiding in the winepress for fear, Yet the angel comes to him and gives him the task of delivering Israel and calls him great, mighty man of valor. Me, he says. So it must be that collectively as a church, we ought not look so much at our weaknesses and our failures instead of looking at the opportunities that are before us. And we could rightly ask, has Jesus opened a door for us as a church here in this city, for the advancement of the gospel? Well, if he has, he asks us to go through that door. No matter our limits, whatever the roadblocks, whatever the, however complex the logistics, let's walk through it. Has he opened a door for you to serve him? in your own circle of friends, among your colleagues, in your neighbourhood. Beware of using your weakness as a cover for your disobedience to his call. For these gospel opportunities come from him. And notice too, he gives gospel success. Despite weaknesses, the church at Philadelphia, we are told, had kept Jesus' word. They had not denied his name. They had been faithful to the gospel. They stood their ground under the pressure in their context to accommodate to the culture and to adjust the message to the tastes and convictions of the day. So what will Jesus do for faithful churches who hold fast to his word? He will not only open doors, but he will give success Verse 9, he says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. Behold, I will make them come and bow before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Again, there's a prophecy from Isaiah here. Chapter 60, verse 14, Isaiah pictures a time when all the nations will stream to Zion and its gates will never shut. Streaming through the open door of the kingdom will, become, will come those who once hated and opposed the people of God, the sons of those who afflicted you, he writes, shall come bending low to you and all who you, who despised you shall bow down at your feet and they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So Jesus is telling this church at Philadelphia, if you go through this door that I've opened for you, those who hate you and those who oppose you will one day come to you in repentance and submission. They will see what they once denied and they will seek from you what they thought they already had, a place in the kingdom of God. So can you see this? that missionary opportunity and success are in the hands of the one who holds the key of David, who makes use of weak instruments and turns those who once hated the gospel into those who believe it. Think of Paul in that regard. What an encouragement for us to be about the business of the gospel to walk through the open door, to speak up for Jesus, to have the knowledge that your success is not the result of your prowess or your wisdom or your ability, but it's him. He holds the keys. He holds the keys for gospel success. And so we can go, and so we should go across the street and around the world, wherever he sends wherever he opens doors, wherever the need is, and that, of course, is everywhere. Then secondly, look at verses 10 to 13 and see how Jesus spoke of protection and reward in his service. This church in Philadelphia, as we have seen, kept Jesus' word and had not denied his name. And now in verse 10 we are told they kept his word with patient endurance. That is to say they were not only theologically faithful but they persevered through trial and suffering. And because of their endurance in obeying his word Jesus made a series of promises to them about how he would protect them. For a start he says, I Here I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world uh, to try those who dwell on the earth. Now this hour of trial is a reference to the growing tribulation that has and will mark the experience of the church in the world in the whole period of time between the first and the second comings of Jesus. To be clear, just in case you're wondering, This is not a reference to a secret rapture of the church from a supposed great tribulation period still to take place. That's not what this is saying. In fact, it's the teaching of the New Testament that we already live in the time we call the tribulation period. That time began with the life, death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And although it will escalate as the gospel advances around the world, As the book of Revelation teaches, nevertheless, this hour of trial is already upon us. This is the world we inhabit. This is the context in which we serve. It's hard and it's difficult. But Jesus says he will keep them from the hour of trial. That doesn't mean that he will take them out of the way of all suffering because we know the church at Philadelphia knew that path of suffering well. But it means that he will preserve them. He will protect them. He will keep them. There is gracious security for them, for those who keep his word with patient endurance. Now, Sometimes you may not feel that you have the stamina to keep going. In the Christian life it's easy when you crest every new summit to discover only another hill awaiting for you to climb. Sometimes some of you raising children, training them as best as you can to trust in the Lord Jesus, doing your very best to model the truths that you are teaching. Sometimes you find that you're doing it alone. Or maybe you're doing it while a partner who doesn't follow him undermines your every effort. Sometimes some of you are faithful in the school system or in the office morning tea room or in the workplace and you might have a sense about what people are saying about you behind your back because you don't use the language they use or you don't join in the gossip, gossip or cut corners in professional dealings with people. And maybe you feel unsure that you can keep up this kind of witness before the world. And it's to us and to you that Jesus speaks, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. In other words, supplies of strength will be given Words will be given, wells of patience will be opened, stamina to stay in the fight will be found. Keep the word, remain a faithful servant of Jesus, and Jesus, the faithful one, will keep you. And remember in verse 11, he says he's coming soon. Just a little while, hold on, press on until then. Hold fast, Jesus says. Don't back down. Persevere as our reading from Hebrews 10 calls us to do. We are not of those who shrink back, but those who go forward in faith. The end's in sight, the finish line around the corner. And until you get there, he will keep you. There's much here about gracious protection. But also generous reward. Look at verse 12. The one who conquers will be made a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will, write on, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Now, these words of Jesus might be a bit hard to grasp because they're full of references and allusions that these believers knew that we don't. For a start, when Jesus says he will make faithful believers a pillar in the temple, we need to know it was the custom in Philadelphia that when someone had done a great service to the city, a pillar would be erected in one of the city temples in his honour a kind of monument with their name inscribed upon it to memorialize them. But this promise to the faithful people of God in our text is not that this monument in the Lord's temple will bear our names. They'll bear his name. We will become monuments to his praise and his glory. And notice too that Jesus says we will never go out of the temple that he is building We have to know here that Philadelphia was built in a location where there was tremendous earthquake activity. In AD 17, for example, the whole city was completely destroyed by a massive earthquake. And so the people there were always ready to what? To run outside because of the constant tremors. One commentator says the people were always going out and coming in. They were always fleeing the city and returning to it. But Jesus promises that believers who keep his word will never go out of the temple that he is building. It's an image of amazing security and rest and peace for a people always on the edge and facing danger. Here's how Jesus rewards his servants who labor for him in the strength that he gives. He makes of us shining monuments to the glory of God, pillars in his temple, eternal reminders to the vast company of saints and angels that God's eternal plan begun at creation is completed with the new creation and he is glorified in it. How then to drive this home? Sometimes a story is the best option. This one is about a man we should all have a working knowledge of. A man by the name of John G. Payton, one of the greatest missionaries that the Presbyterian Church has ever produced and ever known. Payton left Scotland to travel to the New Hebrides with the purpose of reaching the people on the island of Tanna with the gospel. It was an open door that he went through. He arrived there on November 5, 1858 and within months his pregnant wife Mary gave birth to their son. But great joy was followed by the greatest of sorrows. For weeks on end, Mary suffered from terrible bouts of fever, pneumonia, diarrhoea and delirium. And then, suddenly and tragically, she died. And weeks later, the baby died. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? After going through an open door like that, to be left alone on an island of cannibals, utterly bereft, overcome by grief, battling fever and weakness, Digging the graves of your wife and your son. He later wrote this, stunned by that dreadful loss in entering upon this field of labour to which the Lord had himself so evidently led me, my reason seemed for a time almost to give way. The ever-merciful Lord sustained me and that spot became my sacred and much-frequented shrine. During all the following months and years, when I labored on for the salvation of the savage islands amidst difficulties, dangers and deaths, but for Jesus and the fellowship I enjoyed with him, I would have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave. After four grueling years at terrible cost, the entire island of Tanna rose against John Payton. And he was forced to flee aboard a missionary ship that arrived in the nick of time, relocating him to the nearby island of Anewa, where soon, can you believe it, the entire island came to faith in Jesus Christ. Can you see the parallels with the church at Philadelphia? Here's a man who is weak, at his weakest, who has an open door before him and goes through only to find great suffering but wonderful gospel success. Like the apostles of old who had open doors before them and every kind of persecution to match John Payton proved that it doesn't depend on strength or your wisdom or your power or your lack of these things. And he proved that because Jesus holds the keys in his hands, because Jesus holds the keys of David, that he will save and he will keep and he will reward those who serve him even in the midst of trial. Do this, and you will be like John Peyton was and is, a pillar in God's temple, forever pointing to the wonder of his grace. For the grace that saves you from this world is the grace that will keep and carry you through it. Will you go through the open door that no one can shut Accept Jesus. Will you prove faithful? Let's pray that we would. By this grace that he gives. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the testimony of the church at Philadelphia. Small, vulnerable, but willing to serve with an open door before them. Facing all kinds of persecution, but obedient, we thank you too for the testimony of John G. Peyton, who, at his weakest point, discovered that you were able to do far things far beyond what he ever expected. Thank you for the challenge before us, individually and as a church, to prove faithful in the calling to which we've been given, to serve you here, to reach this city with the gospel, to do what we can, that your work might go forward. Thank you too for the grace that you give. Grace amazing. You promised to keep us and protect us. and We pray that you would reward us in your service because of grace, not because we are good. Thank you for these things today. Please write them upon our hearts and send us forth in thanksgiving and praise and service. For Jesus' sake, amen.